So um, if you've been with us for um, the last couple of weeks here at our Southeast Raleigh table, you will know that we are in the middle of a sermon series called Fully Alive, where we are basically using um, our tagline of our Southeast Raleigh table, which is we're about that life-giving life, to um, talk about what does it look like in the here and now for us to live lives that are full of peace, lives that are full of compassion, lives that are full of joy, that we don't want to just exist in this world, but when Jesus said to us, I came that you may have life and life more abundantly, that doesn't mean that one day when we die and we get to heaven, that's when we'll experience that life more abundantly, but in the here and now, with our everyday, waking, ordinary days, we might know what it is to live fully alive. St. Irenaeus says this, The glory of humankind is to see humankind fully alive. The glory of God is to see humankind fully alive. That means when we live our, quote unquote, our best lives, when we're living our best lives, um, that is what the glory of God actually looks like. When we are doing the things that we delight in, then God delights in us. And this is the beautiful thing about being fully alive, of wanting to live these lives to the full, is that um, I would hope that what we want for ourselves, we would want for others. One of the things that I'm realizing the older I get and the longer that I'm in ministry is that my purpose on this earth is to help people not settle on existing. I was one time asked by my dear friend, Margaret Brunson, what do you think your purpose is in life? Like, what makes your heart break? And what I realized is that whenever people begin to settle on a life, when third graders at the bus stop don't believe that they're going to ever make it to fourth grade, that thing makes me unsettled. I don't ever want them to to live a life that is lackluster. When people think, well, all I'm gonna do with my spouse is just kind of look at each other and maybe we might say a couple of words over the dinner table. I'm like, no, 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 can't you have a greater imagination for what God would want for you? We want life and then we want the people around us to also um, live lives that are abundant. And whether that means we're speaking life over people or we're helping to dismantle systems that rob people of life, that invitation that Jesus offers to us that I came, that you may have life and life more abundantly, that we don't just see it as a personal invitation, but we see it as a collective invitation and that we will all be restless until everyone knows what it is to live in the overflow. And so this morning, I'm going to read a passage of scripture and tell you a story about two sisters that Bria has actually uh, mentioned in her prayer, Martha and Mary, who are faced with um, the loss of life of their brother Lazarus. What happens is that Jesus had been in their village and then Jesus has left their village. Jesus is a friend of Lazarus and also a friend of Mary and Martha, but he goes on. And when Jesus goes on from the village where uh, Lazarus is from, Lazarus gets ill. And Mary and Martha, um, the the sisters of Lazarus, they're like, you know what? If Jesus would come back, he might be able to change the situation in Lazarus' life that he is no longer um, ill. Well, Jesus doesn't come back. And it happens that Lazarus actually dies. And it's after Lazarus dies that Jesus makes his way back to the city called Bethany where Mary and Martha and Lazarus, who has now passed away, finds himself in a tomb. And so these two sisters who desperately want life or wanted life for their brother are now faced with the death of their brother. And I want you to hear now these words from John chapter 11, beginning with the 32nd verse. And this is what it looks like when Jesus comes back 
When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead for four days. But Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. I want you to hear these words again from verse 44. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. And will you pray with me? Gracious God, we believe that you have a word to speak to us today. And we believe that you have a word that will give us life. So would you turn down the volume on all the other voices that would seek to distract us, especially our very own voice telling us what we have left undone, the voices that sometimes criticize and critique, the voices that come with a harsh word so that we can hear your still, small voice alone. Gracious God, I pray that you would take my words and that you would hold them in the palm of your hands and breathe life over them so that I do not hold onto them too tightly, but that I would let you do the good work of raising every consonant and vowel from a page that they might rest gently not only on our ears but on the ears of our hearts and be lived out beautifully in our lives. Gracious God, as your servants, we ask that you would speak, for we are listening. We ask all of this in the strong name of your son, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. Um, I'm certain you've heard this phrase before. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you have either said the phrase, heard the phrase, or felt the phrase, you know just enough to be dangerous? 
You know just enough to be dangerous. I know just enough to be dangerous. When I first moved to Raleigh, um, I lived in a house um, in North Raleigh. I knew about two connecting flights away. And um, when I moved into this house, the um, ice machine and the refrigerator, the refrigerator was kind of old that came with the house. The, the ice tasted kind of um, interesting. They basically tasted like bacon soda chips. And so, um, I was like, I gotta somehow fix this problem. Now here is the problem with my problem, is that I had been watching a whole lot of home and garden television back in those days. This is pre-Chip and Joanna Gaines. I mean, I was in deep in the vortex of home and garden television. And so I knew just enough, friends, to be dangerous. I took this toasted mahogany self to the place that you go to escalate a situation, Home Depot. I asked a couple of people some questions about what can I do to somehow change out a filter in the back of the refrigerator, and I said it with such um, a level of confidence and conviction that they probably thought, you must work for Frigidaire. And I came home with this like, um, like carbon, um, filtery thing. See, you can already tell this was not going well. This like filtery thing that when I opened it up, all this like charcoal or like something started squirting out all over the, um, all over the kitchen. Um, I dismantled the back of the refrigerator, um, disconnected a water line, and let's just say that for the next 10 years that I lived in that house, my ice machine did not make ice. <laughs> not once. Now we use that ice tray for a lot of things, but no click, 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 no ice. And I never called anyone in the 10 years I lived in that house to come and fix what I had made worse. You know just enough to be dangerous. You know, I wasn't, um, I'm not a person who tends to be too hard on myself when I make um, some of those oopsies. I didn't self-flog. Um, I definitely didn't disclose to the person who purchased the house that the ice machine wasn't working. Um, I was going to let that be a surprise for them. <laughs> but what uh, I did take away from that particular experience was there are moments in my life when I overestimate my ability to fix a situation. And um, I will say this much, after I had made that little oopsies with the refrigerator from uh, then on, I always called a professional whenever something went wrong or awry in my home. Because I, um, I didn't want to overestimate my capacity to actually fix a situation. Now, as a pastor, what I've also recognized is that it's one thing to worry about a refrigerator, but I have to have that sense of my capacity when it comes to people's lives. That when I hear that internal voice that says, you know just enough to be dangerous in this person's addiction. You know just enough to be dangerous in regards to this person's marriage. You know just enough to be dangerous in regard to this person's depression. You know just enough to be dangerous that I am very quick to ask myself, Lisa, what is your capacity to fix the situation? That's why I love Martha and Mary. 
Even though they give Jesus a hard time for not being around when their brother gets ill, even though they give Jesus a hard time for not being around when Lazarus dies, they are not afraid to say, Jesus, we could not make this situation better, but we believe that you could. When he got ill, we called for you, and you did not come. And then now that he is dead, we are hoping with a little sliver of hope that maybe, just maybe, you might be able to do something in this situation. And Jesus is so emotional. Twice in this passage of scripture, it says that Jesus was deeply moved, deeply disturbed, Stirred up in his, um, some um, uh, 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 Greek translations, like, it's like this compassion, like this, this sadness in your, in your stomach, in your bowels. And that the weeping of others also causes Jesus to weep. Have you ever been with someone who was so sorrowful that their tears began to move you to tears? That even if you didn't know their situation fully or the name of the person who they lost, their sadness became your sadness. But this is the thing. Jesus knew Lazarus as a friend, and he begins to weep. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, the great I am, weeps. And it says that Jesus then turns to the heavens and begins to speak to God the Father saying, God, I'm going to do this so that these folks will know that I'm calling upon you, but I know that you already hear me. You've even seen my prayers falling down my, my face in the form of tears. God, I know you already hear me. And then it says with a loud voice, Jesus stands in front of that tomb and says, Lazarus, come out! Friend that I know, come out! Person who I've had meals with, come out! He cries out with a loud voice, emotional, deeply disturbed, maybe as a plea, maybe as an interjection or a proclamation, but I want my friend to come out of the place of death, this dark place, this place that he should not be. And the one who says, I am resurrection and life, yet you die, you will also live, says Lazarus, come out. And it says that Lazarus, still bound. Can you imagine this? (laughs) You know, Lazarus, still bound, comes out. And friends, this should be the part of the story that makes you absolutely happy. Martha and Mary, who know that they cannot raise their, their brother from the depths of death, Martha and Mary, who who did not believe that they could turn Lazarus' situation around even when he was just ill. Jesus turns to those who are in his hearing, and he says to them, unbind him. Okay, I'm going to walk, y'all. You know how I have to do sometimes. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, what? Come on, friends. Jesus said to them, and let him go. These helpless, 
individuals who gathered in front of a stinky tomb, these individuals, the religious leaders, the sisters of Lazarus who shared his DNA, who could not get him up from his sickbed, who could not call him out of the tomb. Jesus says, you know what? I have, uh, I have enacted this beautiful miracle, but you're going to also get to co-labor with me in this. I have raised Lazarus out of the tomb. I have raised Lazarus out of his dark place. I have raised Lazarus from death, but you all can take off the strips of cloth and unbind him. Jesus lets us get up close and personal with the miracle. The ones who felt helpless and hopeless, they get a role. Take off the death clothes. Do you know the, um, the difference between um, Lazarus's uh, kind of being raised and Jesus's being raised is that you remember in um, John's gospel, whenever Jesus is raised from the tomb, it says that his grave clothes are laying there nicely because, you know, Jesus got that, 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 that power power. <laughs> but with Lazarus, it says that, no, his grave clothes were still on. So Jesus is like, you're going to get to be a part of helping Lazarus live. You, you community, you get to be ones who get to unbind him and let him go. Because Jesus sees something in us. But here's my question to you, friends. Do you sometimes get it twisted and you try to raise Lazarus and then tell Jesus, can you unbind him? Come on, friends. Do you sometimes get it backwards? I'm going to try to do the raising. And then I'm going to be like, now, Jesus, you can do this part. From the time I was in middle school to the time that I was in college, I either kept a journal or a prayer journal where I prayed and prayed and prayed and wrote epistles long about my parents' marriage. Every which way that I could somehow try to process what was going on under my household, I tried to work it out with my middle school self, with my high school self, and with my college self. By the time I graduated from college, I was so disappointed and so exhausted because I had been standing outside of a tomb for years, waiting, 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 waiting for someone to roll a stone away. I didn't care if it was stinky. I didn't care what it was like on the inside. I just wanted something to move. And I will never forget my brother, my younger brother saying to me, Lisa, you have got to let it go. I am not saying that there's anything wrong with praying or holding vigil or even believing and hoping for years, but I had literally lost a sense of myself. I was dying trying to keep somebody else alive. And then, guess what, in my infinite wisdom, after I graduated from college, decided that I was going to go to seminary so that I could be a marriage counselor and family therapist. Why, friends? Because maybe, just maybe, if I get a couple of more letters behind my name, I might be able to put my lips onto dead things and to raise it up to new life. But by that point in time, I had been standing in front of the tomb and screaming so long I lost my voice. trying so hard to do the work that only Jesus could do. 
raise, and me forgetting the work that Jesus will tell me to do, unbind. It is hard sometimes to watch the people in your life in their dark and dead places. But I need to ask you this morning, is there a situation in your life right now that you need to let Jesus do the work that you cannot do? That where your human capacity ends is where the glory of God begins. That where you start to find yourself drowning, that you can see God raising, that where you are so enmeshed that you no longer know yourself anymore, that Jesus is like, no, I want you to see the glory of the Father revealed in what I'm going to do in this person's life. You, unbind. Me, Jesus, I will raise. This is what is so beautiful about this Jesus who we serve. Doesn't want us to live small lives. At the end of John's gospel, Jesus says to his disciples, greater things you will do in my name. Jesus doesn't want us to live small lives, but Jesus also wants us to recognize that what we are not able to do, Jesus will do on our behalf. There is a reason why flesh and blood wrapped up in glory came down and tented among us because there was something that we could not do. And Jesus, Jesus loves us enough to also honor our capacity to do the work and the heavy lifting and to also invite us to be a part of the miracle but to be a part of the miracle in a way that we do not die. The one-liner that you hope you can just keep on saying to get someone out of their depression, the one thing you think you can just do to turn around the addiction, and you've been churning and churning and churning and churning and churning. Maybe, just maybe, Jesus is whispering to you, I will raise, and then I'll call you to unbind. Why, friends? Because Jesus is trustworthy. Because Jesus will say, I am the resurrection and I am the life or I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. And then Jesus will say to us, now show them what that abundant life looks like. Because Jesus will say, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, now will give you rest. And then Jesus will turn to us and say, hey, will you walk them here to me? Because Jesus will say, I am the living water. And then Jesus will look to us and say, can you go get them a cup? Because Jesus will say that I am the bread of heaven. And Jesus will say, can you invite them? to a table. Jesus will do the work that Jesus will do, and Jesus will then tell us what we can do. And this is what I can tell you, is that it takes a whole lot of trust 
especially when you have been in situations and circumstances when it's not been that the, the situation of life has been for four days, but maybe it has been four months or four years or 10 years, and you have just been waiting patiently for the God of the heavens and the earth to scream out the name of the person that you love to come out of their dark place. Our first thought is maybe I can somehow put this situation together. Maybe I can be the one who can raise this situation up to new life. And I would be lying to you as a pastor if I told you I know how and when and what Jesus is going to do on your behalf. All I can say is this, is that if it involves Jesus, it will involve life. And you know, if you cannot trust what we say about Jesus, then maybe we can trust what we have seen of Jesus. Jesus weeps when we are in desperate places. Jesus is greatly disturbed when we are in difficult situations. Jesus will call out our names when we are in difficult situations. And as Father Michael Sparrow will say to us, Jesus cannot love you less than the person who loves you the most. Friends, um, as our worship team comes, I want you to ask yourself, is there someone in your life that you've been trying to raise on your own? Is there a circumstance or a situation where um, you have been standing outside of a tomb and your life is passing you by as you stand outside of this tomb and you have tried to push the stone away and you've tried to call the stone away and it is not working. Can you trust just, even if it's a slice of trust, that Jesus will do the raising and that Jesus then might invite you to do the unbinding. For you to walk away from that situation is not defeat. Here's a term we use in the Christian tradition, surrender. Be Martha, be Mary. Jesus, I am so upset with you. I needed you to show up in 1998. Say it, say it, get honest. If you had been here, then this, you can say it. And Jesus will whisper and say, just, just, just walk with me, just walk with me. I'm, I'm going to show you the glory of the Most High God. So just surrender. Let your human capacity be your human capacity and let the glory of Jesus be the glory of Jesus. that when the word became flesh and blood and dwelt among us, it was to raise, it was to raise 
It was to raise and to do that which we cannot do. So will you pray with me? And I'm going to invite you to keep your um, hands open as we pray. God, some of us are so tired in this place. Because we've done marches around the cemeteries in our lives. We've tried everything we know how to shift or change or transform another's circumstances. And for some of us, we've exhausted all possibilities. We've tried our best to be God. But Lord, this morning, we, we're going to let go. We're not letting go of hope. We're not letting go of a vision or a dream of a greater life for the people that we love or even a greater life for ourselves. We're not letting go of the, the, the belief, Lord, that every single person that you have created, you have created to be very good, and you want us all to know what it is to have life and life more abundantly. We're not letting go of that. but we're letting go of all the tactics and strategies and schemes that we have tried to put into place to do the work that only you can do. We're letting go. And we're going to trust, oh God, that when you stand in front of our dead places, when you stand in front of our tombs, when you stand in front of that which might rob us of life, whether with a whisper or with a loud voice, you will call out our name. You will call out our loved ones' names. And you will call us to new life. God, would you raise, and when you see fit, give us instructions to unbind. We ask this, Lord, in the strong name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.